Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. How is everybody? Good to see everyone. Welcome to Arden at Home, online everywhere. We just want to welcome you to God's house today. We're going to be in Romans 12. We've been doing a series called The Culture of the Kingdom. We've taken several weeks, just a pause in the book of Acts. We've still got another year left in the book of Acts, so we'll resume that in January. But we've taken a little pause to talk about what does the kingdom of God look like? What is the culture of it? So each week we've been doing it like a different theme. And last week we talked about the generosity of the kingdom. Today we're going to talk about the gifts of the kingdom. So as you turn there, I want to read to you an interesting story. It comes from 1962. Some of you are around here. I wasn't here then. But Gladys Kidd, no relation to Justin, uh, she was in San Francisco. And her husband was falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit. So she posted an article in the San Francisco Examiner. And I want to read to you a quote. She says, I don't want my husband to die in the gas chamber for a crime he did not commit. I will therefore offer my services for 10 years as a cook, a maid, a housekeeper, or anything else to any leading attorney who can vindicate my husband. So there was a lead attorney that took her up on her offer. His name was Vincent Hallinan. He was San Francisco's best lawyer, one of the best lawyers in San Francisco. Judge Martin, welcome back. You'll like this story. Um, So he took the, took the, the offer, and basically her husband was acquitted. He was found to be not guilty of all the crimes that was going to lead him to the gas chamber. So Gladys offered himself, herself to Vincent, the lawyer, and basically said, I'll do whatever. You know, you, you vindicated my husband. I'm yours for 10 years. Whatever you want me to be, a maid, a cook, a nurse, a nanny, whatever, you, you know, you just let me know. And one of the most touching things is Vincent said, no, it was my privilege to set an innocent man free. You owe me nothing. Enjoy your life with your husband. And that, that story really touched me because, you know, true story from the 60s. But, you know, it's like imagine if you had been set free for a crime that you didn't commit. What would be your response? You know, most of us would be like gratitude. You know, I owe you. But take it to a deeper level. What if you committed the crime and what if someone else took the time that they paid the price for you? They, they took the jail sentence for you. And the Christian life is all about our response for what Jesus did for us. We were guilty. We were not innocent. We deserve to take the punishment. But yet he said, no, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to take your place on that cross. So today we're going to look at spiritual gifts. But leading up to that, we're going to look at your life. How in response to all that God has done for you, what should be your response? And with that, we're going to look at the spiritual gifts. So today's big question If you have your listening guide is, have you totally surrendered your life for the building of God's kingdom? So let's look at Romans 12, 1 through 8. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, we're going to pause there. As Bible students, we understand whenever we see the word therefore, what are we going to ask? What is it therefore? All right, you guys are more awake than the first service. They were just having their coffee. 
So before we read the rest of verse 1, Romans 1 through 11 basically says that God is sovereign. He, he, he's amazing. He's all loving. Yet we're sinners. Romans 3. We deserve punishment. And yet when you fast forward, Jesus paid the price. He took the penalty. He is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he paid the price for our sins. And Romans 9 through 11 talks about God's sovereignty. He is sovereign over all. And because of that, think about his mercies. In view of his mercies, here's our response. Verse 1. By the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. May God bless his word. So today we're going to talk about five action verbs that have to do with your place in the body of Christ. And because of this, it should lead to a life of service. Going back to the opening story, what would you do if you were set free? Not, not of a crime you didn't commit, but of crimes you did commit. What would be your response? And that's what we're going to look at today in the passage. So look at number one. The first action verb is start. Someone say start. Start by offering all of your life as a living sacrifice. In verse one, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is it's still alive. And what's interesting in the Greek, it literally means make yourself a living killing. Think about that. Make yourself a living killing. So in the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifices, not to be too gruesome, but they would slit the throat, the blood would gush all over the altar, and the animal would be dead. They would do this daily, and once a year, the Day of Atonement, there would be a lot of sacrifices. And what Paul is saying is, I want you, in view of God's mercies, everything that he's done for you, he didn't give you what you deserve. You deserve the punishment. You deserve the death sentence. In view of him setting you free, I want you to offer your body as a living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. You know, it's like it's there one day, the next day it's crawling off the altar. So the idea, why should I give myself, two main reasons, is number one, you should give your whole self because Jesus gave his whole self to you. Now think about it, Jesus didn't offer just his life. He could have just lived a life and went on, but... He had to offer his body as a sacrifice because that was the only way our sins could be atoned for. The blood of Jesus. We still preach on the blood of Jesus because without the blood, there's no remission of sins. Amen. So here's the thing. Jesus offered his whole self. It's God's mercy that you don't get what you deserve. You deserved hell. And because of God's mercy, you get heaven. 
You deserve punishment, and because of God's grace, you get favor. So according to God's mercy, offer yourself. Second main reason is your whole self should be offered to God because he has a greater purpose for your life. You may not realize this, but your life is teeming with purpose. Every morning you wake up, you can look in the mirror and say, Good morning, world changer. You know why? You're about to change the world today. Why? Because you are invading the darkness. You are going into dark places today. And every morning that you get up, you can walk with some confidence in your step. You can have a little bit of holy spiritual swagger in your step. Why? Because you have a calling. You have a purpose. And Scripture tells us, Scripture we love and we quote often with graduation verses. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And in Psalm 37, 23, this is a great verse to memorize. It says, The Lord directs the step of the godly, all the details. It says, He delights in every detail of their lives. So it's funny, a lot of times as Christians we get into these little debates, especially in your life group classes, your Sunday school. You know, should I pray for the parking space when there's a kid hungry in Africa? Should I pray for, you know, this job raise when there's people that don't have, you know, money at all? And, and we wrestle, we battle. And the question is, is God able to handle both at the same time? You know, we almost think like God is like us. We can only focus on one thing at a time, right? Especially some of us men, have you noticed it's hard to multitask? God's not like us. He can do a thousand million things at one time with both hands tied behind his back. So scripture says he delights in every detail of your lives. Pastor Tim Keller at Redeemer Church in New York tells a story. It comes from the 1930s. There was a young lady. She was 15, 16 years old. And she was at a Christian conference. And as a 16-year-old, she decided, you know what? I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. And the most noble thing she could think of as a response to surrendering her life was to enter into full-time missions. So every mission agency she talked to basically said, listen, you, you tell us you want to go to Asia? There's a few problems. At this point in time in the 30s, Asia was very dangerous. And they said, you know, we're not going to send you alone. You have to be married. And number two, you have to go to seminary. So she's like, I can go to seminary, but God, God will provide for me a husband. So whenever she graduated, she enrolled in Bible college. She went for four years. And upon graduation, she did really well in school. But yet there was no husband. There was no prospect. There was not even someone to ask her on a date. So she's like all alone. She's like, God, all right, there's seminary. God, you've got to come through. I need a husband so I can go on the mission field. So she fast forward. She enrolls in seminary. She gets her master's degree. On the night before graduation, she sits on her dorm room bed just pouting, angry at God because she said, God, I gave you my life, right, as a missionary. I've devoted all these years, the last seven years, to serve Christian service. And God, there's no husband. There's no prospect. There's no one even asking me on a date. God, I need a husband so I can go on the mission field. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to her that you are miserable, my daughter, not because you've taken your hands off of your life, you're miserable because your hands are still on your life. And what she realized was she was serving God, not just no strings attached. She was serving God so he could bless her and so he could grant her things and so that he, she could have a husband. She realized that I was using God, not serving God. And Pastor Tim Keller asked this question. I thought it was pretty profound. He said, if this girl had dedicated one-third of her life to missionary service and she still had a grasp on her life, how are you doing? 
Do you feel like you've surrendered all? And when I heard that story, I just really got emotionally wrecked because I'll be honest with you, I don't give God yeah buts or catches, but internally, here, here's, here's what my thought process is. God, I'll serve you with all my life, but I really would like to stay at Western North Carolina. I really would like to stay at this church. I really, like God, I, 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 I'm willing to go anywhere, but God, it would sure be nice. And you fill in the blank. Are you that way too? That you, you have atta- strings attached, even though you don't tell God. And what God had to remind me is like a living sacrifice. I had not realized it, but I still had a little grasp on my life. So this, it was like Friday, Saturday morning. Pray for my wife. She's been at home really sick with a nasty stomach virus. But even in her sickness, we sat up and we prayed by her bed and just said, God, we surrender again. We didn't realize, but we had strings attached. What about you? Have you surrendered all of you? with no strings attached? Have you told God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. Whatever costs you ask me to pay, I will pay. So notice what kind of sacrifice is it? Notice, first of all, it's a holy sacrifice. It's holy because it's separated to God for his purposes. Now, the idea of holy means set apart. And what's amazing is Jesus is the only one who's intrinsically holy, We are just adopted into his holiness. We didn't earn it or deserve it. We received it. It's like what happens, there's a spiritual transaction that whenever you accept Christ, God the Father takes the righteousness of his son Jesus and puts it into your spiritual bank account. So whereas you used to be a debtor, whereas you used to be the chief of sinners, now when God looks at your account, it registers holy. Isn't that amazing? Second trait, it's acceptable. That your life can now be acceptable to God, not because of anything good you've done, but because of what Jesus did on your behalf. You are now acceptable to God. And it's reasonable. What's interesting is the Greek word for this reasonable service, it's where we get the English word logical. It's the most logical thing you can do. So Jesus paid the greatest price for the worst sinner. You deserve punishment, but yet you got forgiveness. You deserve to be eternally separated from God's love, and now you're going to be eternally with God in, in his presence. Like you got the best deal of all time. So start by offering your life as a living sacrifice. Number two, the second action verb is change. Someone say change. Change your life by changing your mind. Look at verse two. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Interesting thing, I used to be a youth pastor and worked with students, and one of the number one topics in student ministry is to rebel, right? Rebellion. And here's something that's a little interesting. You can be a righteous rebel. God wants you to be a nonconformist. Let me explain. Everyone that's not following Jesus, they're just like the world, right? The world is squeezing them into its mold, the way they dress, the way they act, the way they talk. It's they're basically parrots of what they see on TV. They become a a person of the world. But if you actually live for Jesus, you're countercultural. So Paul says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And that's the idea of external forces changing that from outside from within. External forces changing you so that you're different on the inside because of the pressure on the outside. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's a beautiful word. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. My kids and I, we love to 
look at the creation in the world, and you can learn something every day of your life. So trash day, we take out the trash, and we notice as we're putting the trash out, there's these little maggots. You ever notice maggots crawling around? You may not have those in your trash, but we have them in our trash sometimes. We have dogs, and anyways, I'm not going to go. So you look at these maggots, but what's interesting, even maggots learn how to fly in about a week. (laughs) And it's like, you know, they're crawling on the ground, and you know, and it's just like, man, like they go from the nastiest creatures in the world to now they're flying. All right, take the caterpillar. Caterpillars are really ugly. I don't know about you, but when you see those green caterpillars, they're ugly. But they get and they get in that cocoon and something happens within. You know, that cocoon's ugly. It's ugly. But you see from within the cocoon, a metamorphosis taking place. And in that struggle, when its wings are getting ready to pop out, it emerges from the cocoon as what? A butterfly, right? Or a moth for our scientific people, also moths. So here's the thing about it is like in your life, you may feel like you're in a struggle right now. And sometimes God allows a struggle not to ground you, but so you can fly. Without the struggle, you wouldn't have wings. Because of the struggle, now you can fly. So Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed how By the renewing of your mind. If you change your mind, you change your life. So it goes back to all of life. If you want your behavior to be different, you have to change your mind. Well, how do you change your mind? You have to renew it. Well, how do you renew it? You have to allow God's word to come inside of your spirit. You have to allow the fellowship of the church. You have to allow all of these spiritual disciplines that we talk about, of prayer and Bible study and fasting, those are all ways that we renew our minds. So Paul says that once you change your life by changing your mind, then you'll be able to understand God's will. What is his will? He says it's good, it's pleasing, and perfect. So a lot of times people are like, I don't want to surrender, Timothy. My life, hands off, God's going to call me to like Mexico, or he's going to call me to Africa, or he's going to call me to, you know, you name it, the, the middle of New York City. And I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, here's the thing. If God calls you, he's going to change those desires. You'll you'll have a desire to do it. You'll want to do it. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he does what? He gives you the desires of your heart. So the best thing you can do is take your hands off of your life. So a living sacrifice, a change of mind. Number three, recognize. Someone say recognize. Sounds like some of you moms. You better recognize. Recognize your place in God's amazing grace. So verse three Paul says, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each a one a measure of faith. So we have to avoid spiritual snobbery or like what is spiritual snobbery? Spiritual snobbery is thinking that you're God's gift to the church. You ever met anybody like that? Like if it weren't for me, the church would crumble. You know, one of the greatest things God can reveal is... God always has the next man, next woman up. You know, you and I, I put myself in that. I'm not God's gift to the church. God can replace me in a heavenly heartbeat, right? So here's the thing. Paul said, the amazing thing about the gospel, on one hand, when you realize that you were a sinner deserving nothing but hell and God saved you, it produces a profound sense of humility. On the other hand, when you realize that you're God's adopted child, you're now a son or daughter, and you have a calling, you have a purpose, and you have spiritual gifts, you don't think too lowly of yourself. Like, it it produces some healthy spiritual confidence. 
So on one side, you're not God's gift to the world, you know, that you're better than others. And the other side, it's not the woe is me poverty mentality. It's kind of like, be like, uh, Joe, that was an amazing song. Well, thank you. I'm nothing. God is everything. What did he just do right there? Joe doesn't do that way, by the way. But it puts the tension back on yourself. So it's still, pride is all about you and false humility is all about you too. It's okay to say thank you. God is good. So avoid spiritual snobbery. How many of you are watching the World Series? Raise your hand. John Anthony, you better raise your hand. You're texting me late at night. All right, so here's the thing. The, the World Series, everybody would love to have a ticket, right? Ticket to go to the World Series. Even greater than a World Series that you, most of you don't know who won 10 years ago. Some of you baseball. Who, does anybody know who won 10 years ago? I, I, that's what I thought. There may be one of you that do. But here's the thing. It, it's not going to matter in about 10 years from now except for those who won it. But you guys have been giving a first-class ticket not to the World Series but to the kingdom. You have front-row tickets to the kingdom. And the good thing is, is God doesn't want you just to sit in the stands. He wants you to participate. He wants you to be a part. And whenever you renew your mind, whenever you realize it's by the grace given to you, all of a sudden you realize the best-kept secret, that you are part of something far bigger than yourself. It's called the kingdom of God. All right, fourth verb is discover. Someone say discover. Discover your purpose in the body of Christ. So verses 4 and 5, it says, As we have many members in one body, all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So here's the thing. You are all part of the body of Christ. And you matter. Every part matters. If you don't believe that, stub your toe when you go home. Have you ever had a toe that was hurt and your whole body throbs with pain, right? And it's like the same is true with the body of Christ. If one member is hurting, all members should suffer with it. That's why we're so connected. So Paul is telling us you have a place. You have a part. There is no members that have no significance. All members have significance in the body of Christ. So for those of you who aren't baseball fans, how many football fans do we have? All right. How many players are in the NFL that play on each team? Is it 11, right? 11 on each team? So, Mike, you should know this. Mike Jameson has the answer. So, imagine you're at an NFL game. There are 22 players on the field, and in the crowd, there's 100,000 people. 22 people very much needing rest, 100,000 people very much needing exercise. Rest, exercise. And what's interesting is many churches become spectator sports where we hire these guys to do the ministry, and we're cheering you on. We're the fans. These guys need rest, but the other guys need exercise. And Paul tells us it's not about a few body parts that are prominent or out front. It's about the whole body working together. Ouch and amen. All right, finally, number five, activate. Someone say activate. Activate your grace gift to build up the body of Christ. Look at verse 6. It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So here's the thing. Anything God gives you, it's by his grace. So whatever gift you have, it was given to you by God. So we'll use um, Justin as example. You may not be able to speak as gifted as Justin, but that's his gift. You have a different gift. You may not be able to sing as good as Joe or Amy or any of the other worship team, but that's, that's a gift, right? 
We all, we all are gifted differently. So we've got to define where we're gifted and how we can use it to build up God's body and expand God's kingdom. So let's look at these grace gifts that he gives. He lists seven in this passage. You may want to note that there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. The speaking gifts are usually someone talking, using scripture to build up the body. And then the serving gifts are those who do practical things to build up the body. So whether you have a, for those, how do you know the difference? Well, if you ever see someone on stage and be like, I would hate to do that, you probably don't have a speaking gift. All right. But if you're like, man, I I would love to do that. I think I could do better than Timothy. You probably have a speaking gift and maybe a little pride, but God will work on that. Um, Have you ever seen uh, some of the ladies, for example, and a few of you guys, they're in the kitchen serving and they're sweating and they're, they're, they're doing a great job. And you're like, wow, I can never do that. Right. You may not have that gift set. Doesn't mean we're all to we're all to pitch in and to help. But every one of us is gifted differently. Now, one of, before we break down these gifts, one of the key indicators is, have you ever done something where you feel the pleasure of God, like you feel God all in it? Most likely, that's a spiritual gift, right? So I'm just going to highlight one here. Judge Martin been teaching how many, 30 years? Was it 35? 35 years. All right, I, I guess the second time. 35 years. All right. So Judge Martin teaching for 35 years. Do you think that's a gift? By now, people would have checked out if it wasn't a gift, but his class continues to grow even during COVID. So here's the thing. If you do something and you feel drained and defeated and depressed, doesn't mean you can't serve in that capacity. It's probably not your dominant spiritual gift. You feel energized. You feel the pleasure of God, and God works through that. So I'm gonna, we're going to talk about seven gifts. There's a lot more than this. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, there's other passage that mentions several. These are more the practical gifts. So the first one is prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is having the ability to proclaim God's word with authority. Now, Old Testament prophecy, you see a lot of preaching. That was the majority. It's to, to foretell. Occasionally, they would foretell. Old Testament prophecy in Scripture, it was for nations, and it was for you know, centuries to come. Think about the, the, the Messiah and all the prophecies of that. Now, New Testament prophets, you see them preaching. Occasionally, you see them doing something, but it's more localized and specialized. Let me explain. You remember when Paul was going to go to Jerusalem, and Agabus t- took Paul's belt and tied him up and said, this is what's going to happen to you? Now, that was a special prophecy for Paul, right? So it wasn't for me or for Universal. So can God still do that today? Absolutely. But it's not going to be like scriptural, like as far as like this is for all people of all time. That's the Old Testament prophet. The New Testament prophetic gift is more of like I sense if you do this, there could be danger. Watch out. It's more warnings and discernment. Now, you do have to interpret that with scripture. You'd have to pray to see whether it's of God or not. Because there, there are some whacked out prophets today that aren't biblical. So you, you have to look at scripture. All right. The second one is ministry. This is having a heart to serve others by meeting specific needs in the church. So, you know, you're the type of person, if you have this gift, if you see a need, you're like, we need to start a ministry for single moms. And it's like, that's a great idea. You, you have a heart of ministry. All right. Third is teaching. The ability to teach is to take complex truths and make them simple so that even a child can understand them. You know, sometimes I laugh, you know, someone will say, I listen to so-and-so on the radio, and they're so deep, they're so profound. I don't know what they're saying, 
but my goodness, they're a good teacher. And my response to that would be they're intelligent, but that doesn't mean they have the gift of teaching. Teaching is where you can understand what they're saying, not it's so deep you have no clue. That just means they're highly intelligent, doesn't mean they have the gift of teaching. All right, exhorting. A lot of times when you think of someone that exhorts, you think of the person with a crazy look in their eye and they're about to confront you. That's not normally what that's talking about. Occasionally that may happen, but it's generally the idea of encouraging someone to reach their God-given potential. It's like encouragement with a, a nice push or a nudge. You ever met an encourager? Like, son, you better rise up because God's got a calling on you. Um, I, I've had several encouragers in my life where they're like, Timothy, you're almost 40. You need to man up. You need to move forward with your life. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know. So you, you need those in your life where people will give you a gentle nudge, a little kick to move forward. All right. Giving. Now, last week we talked about giving and we learned New Testament wise, we're all to be generous. Right. So what is this? If we're all to give, what is the gift of giving? Well, there, there's kind of two sides of it. You have the widow who gives sacrificially a few coins, and that was considered amazing. So that, that's one example. The other example would be those who do really well financially. They have more money than they know what to do with, and they use the excess for God's kingdom. Instead of increasing their standard of living, they increase their standard of giving. So here's a little side note. First service knew it. Let's see if you knew it. Does anybody know how Jesus' ministry was funded financially? Anybody know? The women. Yes, there was wealthy women who funded Jesus' ministry, right? That's the truth a lot of times we never talk about. So God uses different gifts. All right, leadership. This is the ability to encourage people, equip people, and empower them. This is the ability to take people where they are to where God wants them to be, Right? So leaders in the church rally people and say, hey, we're right here, and that's okay, but God wants us to go right here. Let's go after it. All right, mercy. Does anybody in here have the gift of mercy? Raise your hand. It's okay. Some moms have it. I've met very few men in my life that have it, all right? Mercy, the easiest way I can explain this on a human level, for those of you who have children, you ever notice that for the mothers, their child can hardly do anything wrong? I mean, there are exceptions, but... You know, Johnny, like, kicks the teacher and gets thrown out of school. And the mom's like, but you don't know Johnny was having a tough day. And the dad's like, hey, you deserve punishment. And the mom's like, but it's Johnny. You can understand, you know. So mercy is having empathy and being able to fill with people and compassion. So here's the idea behind it all. If you were hurting, do you want to run to the prophet or do you want to run someone with mercy? Probably mercy, right? If you need direction and a clear word from God, who you want to run to? Probably the prophetic, right? Someone that's going to give God's word to you. So we need all the gifts to build up the body of Christ. Because if we were all just one gift, it'd be kind of weird. All the mercy people together. And we're, we're a new church called Mercy Church. And it's a big love fest, but like no one's ever challenged. And we feel good and everyone hugs and kumbaya. But there's very few people getting saved in this church, all right? And then you have the, the, the church of we're the prophets of God. We're the prophetic church. And every Sunday it's like, thus saith the Lord. And they're throwing these truth bombs and hellfire and brimstone. And people are getting saved, but there's not a lot of encouragement going on. You know, so you need all the gifts operating together. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a famous doctor and a pastor. He told the story of this, this other doctor who had this nice little dog. How many of you are dog owners? Raise your hand. 
All right, I can raise both my hands. So he, he was walking his dog through the park, and the, the dog was a really nice dog, friendly, nice cuddly fur ball, you know, lick you in the face. One of those dogs sat, sat on your lap, really nice dog. The one problem is every time he would take the dog on the walk, he would try to jerk the leash. You ever had that problem? And the dog would want to get away, and in the dog's mind, it wanted to explore the park and run through the trees and gallop through the forest and sniff and scratch and do all things that dogs love to do. So the doctor is just like, you know, I love the dog, and I think he loves me, and we've walked this path so many days, I'm just going to take a chance. So he did the unthinkable. He unleashed the dog, and he let the dog go. And to his horror, the dog took off and ran out of sight like a bolt of lightning and was gone. So the doctor's heart just sank, and he's just like, oh, my dog, you know, I don't think he'll come back. But he's like, you know what, I'm going to keep walking. i just got to keep going on the path I've always gone. So he went to his walk. Ten minutes later, he sees this gray flash of lightning run by him, and it was his dog. And the dog was licking him and jumping on him, and it looked so scared. And he's like, maybe the dog saw something, and it scared him back nevertheless. And from then on, the, the dog walked by his side, never needed a leash again. What happened to the dog? What made the difference? This time, the dog offered himself to the master. And because he offered himself, he didn't need the leash anymore. He was able to walk by the master with joy and with excitement. To summarize this message, Paul tells us, because of all that God's done for you, you need to offer yourself freely and willingly as a living sacrifice. Change your life by changing your mind. Don't think too highly of yourself nor too lowly. And because of the grace that God's given to you, use your gift to build up his body. We mentioned seven gifts. So let's have the big idea on the screen. What is today's big idea? God has gracefully gifted you to make an internal impact in his kingdom. So let's go. So we're going to have some classes coming up. And I want to encourage you to write these two dates down, November 7th and 14th. So that's next week, right? Uh, next week, it's going to be from 2 to 5. It's called Place Ministries. A lot of times people say, well, I would love to know how to serve, but I don't know what my gift is. Well, this is a class for you. So a few action steps. The first one is surrender it all. How do we apply this? Maybe you're like myself and you thought you were sold out, but yet God spoke to you and said, no, you still have some strings attached. I mean, you're, you're like that living sacrifice crawling off the altar. So you may not have time to do it right here. It may be when you go home in the privacy of your own room or your closet to say, God, I realize there's this, this, this. I'm still holding on to my life. And to be a living sacrifice, you have to take your hands off and say, God, I surrender. Second is use your gift. Did you know that you're spiritually gifted? All of you have at least one gift. And one of my mentors, he brought up to me recently the 20-80 principle. Many of you have heard this in business that 20% of people do 80% of everything. Imagine in your own body if only 20% of your body was functioning. Imagine if just 20% of your leg was working and you'd be walking. Imagine if 20% of your arm. Imagine if 20% of your heart was working. I mean, some of us, you know, that's, that's tough when you have that. You, you have to have a certain... Measures to keep your body alive. And we wonder why so many churches are struggling. We wonder why so many churches are declining. If 20% of the body is functioning, that's not a healthy body. It's not a healthy church. So when we activate our gifts, all of a sudden you see the body come alive as God meant it. And I mentioned place class. So be sure to sign up for that. So 
I just want to close by asking, have you surrendered at all? And if so, what's, what are you holding back? Why, why aren't you serving? If you have surrendered, the next step is to use your gift to build up the body. Let's pray. Father, I don't know about anyone else, but I was challenged by this message. And I had to do business before you in, in the quietness of my own room, saying, God, I, I've had strings attached. Like, I, I wanted to serve you, but only in Western North Carolina. Please don't make me move. God, I want to serve you, but... And God, uh, you've showed me that I've got to have my hands off. And right now, with no one looking around, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, I'm there with you. I, I thought I was sold out, but the Holy Spirit's brought up certain things. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but right where you're sitting, just confess that to, to him. Just say, God, I'm sorry that I wasn't totally surrendered. Please forgive me for this sin. I'm sorry. There may be someone here that you do believe that you've surrendered, but yet you're not using your gifts in the body. You're not building it up. And the church is struggling because we're waiting on you. We're waiting for this part of the body to function. We don't want 20% doing 80%. That would cause a heart attack in, in anyone's natural body. So it does in the church. That's you to say, God, help me. Help me to find my place. Finally, if there be one here today and you've never presented to yourself to God in the first place, you've never said, God, here's my life, my walking around, my eating, my breathing, where, where I go to work, my retirement, whatever I do, I'm yours. I invite you to enter into relationship with Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from me and I place my faith in you. If you've never asked Jesus into your life right now, wherever you're at, whether here or online, say, Jesus, I believe the gospel. I believe that you died for me and you rose again. And Jesus, I present myself to you. Please take my sin, take my struggles, take all of my life. Forgive me. I pray that you would come into my life and change my heart. Lord, I receive your forgiveness and I present myself to you for the first time. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen.